Hi, guys. Uh, welcome to the Deck Arts Podcast. I'm here with Elizabeth Muir. She is also a, a master's candidate in the Parsons Cooper Hewitt program, like everyone else on this podcast so far. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited she's on today because we took a class this past semester called um, Innocence Abroad with Jeffrey Lieber, and it was really interesting, and her final paper was on Julia Child's French cook cookbook, and so she's going to sort of be talking about that and its relationship between sort of the U.S. and the French cuisine, so I'm going to let her take it away. Yeah, so for my paper, I mean, I think it's food history is really interesting because it's kind of an emerging field. Deck arts is getting better established. And I think like looking at cookbooks is really important because um, as we saw from some of the readings of the class, they didn't really think about them as cookbooks. They kind of glossed over them. So in my paper, I really focused on looking at the ingredients and looking at like how would the recipes be made? Like, would you be able to make it if you were in the Midwest, for example? And were people able to, do they have any of the ingredients? So in my research, I kind of looked at, I looked at, uh, was it Indiana or Iowa? Carlisle Citizen, like a local newspaper. And I found out that broccoli was like the most exotic ingredient they had. (laughs) And like some of the stuff in uh, Mastering the Art of French Cooking is like foie gras and truffles. And those just would not have been able to cured at that time yeah so these people just sort of had the cookbook and then couldn't cook the recipes yeah a lot of the recipes they were just completely unable to cook so was this like was this her first cookbook or was it this was julia child's first cookbook but she did with two other authors if you've seen the oh, yeah. julia and julia movie julia and julia movie oh so that's the movie that she does it with. yeah oh for some reason i thought she had another cookbook but i guess no, no, no. There's uh, the Julie was the woman in like the early 2000s that cooked through the whole cookbook. Oh. So she had like 580 recipes in a year, and she found out that like a lot of them are super hard and take longer than a day to make. Wow, that's crazy. Longer than a day? Yeah, some of the ones like a calf's foot jelly where you have to take a calf's foot and then boil it down to get the gelatin. Oh, weird. That's how they made gelatin back in like the Victorian era and up until the 60s. Yeah. So the two women she worked with were French. Mm-hmm. They were both French. And they were chefs? They were, they were like, cooks. A chef is, like, a term used generally to mean someone that's worked their way up in the restaurant business, and women weren't really welcome. So they were very, like, practiced in the art of French cuisine, but they were not chefs. chefs. They were, wow. yeah, but they were cooks. It was Simone, Simona Beck and Louise Burke. And so how did she, how did she pair up with them? They both contacted her because their cookbook had gotten um, turned away because they felt it wasn't ready for an American audience. So then it took like something like four years for Julia to kind of redo their cookbook and make sure that every recipe worked. That seems so. Did it work within like the states? And if it would work in America, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So how did did she add? I mean, because some of the recipes did call for more, like, exotic things. So how did she alter it? Do you know? I know some of the stuff. Like, it took her, like, a year to go through the sauces chapter. So she really did try to, like, make it available for an American audience. But, again, she was, like, in kind of a – she was on the East Coast. She could get stuff, and she knew kind of how to make stuff. Whereas, like, someone who was new to it wouldn't be aware of how to, like, make cream because it takes 48 hours in a certain temperature. Oh, wow. I didn't know how intense – well, I knew that she was an intense cook. I just didn't realize how intense her cookbook was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, 
And then it's filled with a ton of images, right? The cookbook doesn't have any images in it. Oh. The ones that I showed you were from uh, Rene Verdon's cookbook, which was the White House cookbook. Oh. So really, it was filled with 580 recipes, and it's all just text. It's all text. There's a few drawings, like how to skin, properly skin a chicken and stuff like that, but not a lot. Wow. So who do you think was the audience for this? Was it people who wanted to experience French culture that couldn't, or was it people who had been to France? What do you think? I think it was people that, because we, in our class, we learned about how after the war, it became really cheap to travel abroad, and a lot of people wanted to. And I think people who had experienced how delicious the French cooking one were when they were in France wanted to experience it back home. And in the beginning of the cookbook, she kind of states that this is for people who don't have to concern themselves with, like, waistlines or, like, ingredients or time or, like, being a mom. And so it's kind of like this fantasy of yeah. if you had unlimited time and limited money and limited stuff, you could create these recipes. But in many cases, you can't. Yeah. So was Ver- Verdun, is that how you... Yeah, yeah. Was that... So was his... Did his book come out after she published hers? Her, his came out after because he was the chef during the Kennedy administration. So his, I want to say, came out in 1968, so after JFK had died. Um, and his was a lot easier, actually. I In our class, we kind of compared the Coca Vaughan recipe, mm-hmm. and Julia Childs had something like 18 ingredients, and one of the ingredients required extra steps, whereas Renee Verdon's had four steps and had like four ingredients. Wow. So, like, you can make it much simpler, but for whatever reason, Julia chose to really take it to the perfect degree. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting um, that those that she would have the more complicated one. And yeah, isn't it weird that he's actually French and she's, like, from California? Yeah, <laughs> that is funny. So um, so when did her book come out? Sorry. Her book came out in 1962. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So I think that the American people went through a huge French craze. Yeah, and I think what really helped it was the glamorous Kennedys and their hiring of Rene Verdon, who was – and we had had kind of chef French's – chef uh french chefs in the past but none like everyone wanted to do everything that jackie kennedy did because she was so fashionable yeah so i think that really sparked a love of french cooking in america yeah that's really cool and it kind of is interesting too because in our class we talked about how jackie made did the tour of the mona lisa yeah and so it's so interesting when you were reading your paper or doing your presentation in class the parallels to that sort of the people were enamored with French culture and traveling. So our class was really interesting. And another girl did like the holiday, Mm -hmm. um, like travel magazines. And those are so big. And she did that. And um, it's just interesting to go through and see how it changed after World War II. Yeah, like no one was really, I mean, during the Depression era, no one was traveling and in the World War One era, it was so expensive to travel. So, like, suddenly travel's cheap. Yeah. So then after the book came out, did she do anything? Did she – how did she sort of promote the book? Did she keep sticking with doing the recipes? What happened after? Do you know? She went on a tour with Simona Beck to, like, different – I want to say it was different – there was, like, bookshops, and sometimes she would go on air, and she would kind of go through a recipe, and she would do, like, an omelet – or like a cake or something and that's kind of what sparked she was on a show called like I know how to read I want to say in Boston and she made an omelet on that show and pe- people kept writing in like I want this woman on television yeah 
Did she end up having her own show? She had a show called The Friend Chef, which was hugely popular from, like, I want to say the late 60s to the... It was about... It had a 10-year run, so, like, 1975. Wow. That is crazy. So is that... So is that sort of the time frame that's also shown in the movie? The movie only shows... It's kind of interesting. The movie only shows her time in France before... So it goes from her time in France to when she first went over with her husband... Uh, kind of on the Marshall Plan, and then right before... No, it goes to when her cookbook was published, so, like, 1948 to 1962. Hmm, interesting. That's cool. I didn't realize that... I just didn't realize how popular she had been. Yeah, totally. And it was cool to hear your paper because I guess I always think of Martha Stewart as being that, but it was really Julia Childs was, like, the first... Martha Stewart, kind of, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Martha Stewart's a great example. And then in the in class, I also talked about Ina Garten, who is oh, yeah. kind of like the modern Julia Child now. Yeah. Oh, I love her a lot. Her recipes are really good. How would you compare her recipes? Are her recipes really simple? Her recipes are easier to do. And, like, she has a book called Barefoot Contessa in Paris. And looking at them, she kind of improves upon the French recipes and goes, well, it takes, you know, eight hours to make beef bourguignon. So what I'm going to do is make it simpler. But a lot of times, if you've ever watched her show, she's like, I use good ingredients. And those ingredients are often really expensive. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, to make the beef bourguignon much simpler, she uses a much more expensive cut of meat, like a filet mignon. Oh. So it makes a much more expensive dish, but it's also delicious. Yeah. That's interesting that it still hasn't become, the the French recipes still haven't become, like, for common people. No, like, you can't, I mean, you need expensive vanilla and expensive butter kind of to make them French. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) That's a bummer. So, um, I know that someone else did a similar thesis. I know that we looked at in class and Jeffrey kind of sent it to us really randomly. Um, was, how was hers? I mean, obviously you guys touched on different things, but did hers focus on something? more different than what you were talking about or do you oh yeah so her thesis I think she was at the University of Texas and she was a history student and it really focused more on I mean she kind of would be use mastering the art of French cooking as an example but never really delved into it as like an object okay so like mastering the friend of our the art of French cooking was used as an example of like um French stuff in America, but it wasn't like, let me look really closely at the recipes and see how they were used. How did people react to the recipes? How did people use the cookbook? Yeah. What kind of popularity did it have? Yeah, your research was more like object based on the cookbook. Yeah, it was Cooper Ewing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's really interesting. So, do they still publish the book now? Like, can you get new editions or is it? You can still get Mastering the Art of French Cooking, yeah, and you can still cook from it. It's really hard. Yeah, did you try one of the recipes? Yeah, I made, it was, like, one of the easiest recipes in the cookbook, and it's um, French elephant ears. It's like a child recipe. Wait, is that the one that you gave? Yeah. It was so good, you guys. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm pretty sure I had four of them. Well, it was good after, like, because it was finals week. Yeah. Right before our French, or your French exam, my German exam. But, yeah, and I mean, that one was really hard, too, because... It's like you take a whole thing of butter and then you fold the pastry dough over it and make layers, like kind of like croissants, but less so. Croissants are even harder. And then you add brown sugar. But it was like a four-ingredient recipe, but it still had like a ton of steps. 
And my elephant ears were not really perfect shape, so you guys are very sweet to eat them. <laughs> no, they were really good. They were delicious. Wait, that's crazy. That did it. Did you have to do it more than once, or did you kind of just? I did it twice. Like I did it. Bef- I tested it before, and mm-hmm. then I made it for you guys. So yeah. Wow, they were really good for just having done it twice. Well, I mean, part they were one of the easiest. Like I was not going to make you guys. Like I thought about making like a layer cake or something, but I was like, I can't even. Yeah. I don't even have the number of pans needed for this recipe. Wow. That is crazy. That sort of is difficult if you don't have a full kitchen. Being in New York, my kitchen has, like, one drawer for pans and then, like, a little dinky oven. Yeah. Mine's exactly the same. And, like, when her show came out, people would watch it and be like, oh, my gosh, I need a copper saucepan. And then suddenly she, like, drove the market for cookware in America. Really? Because people were like, I don't have a jello mold, a copper jello mold in the shape of a fish. Like, I need one. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So, um, what about what happened to the two French cooks that she worked with after the tour? Did they stay? Did they, they you know? kind of dropped off? It was kind of like she was the main focus, and since she was American, and she had a really... Have you ever seen the YouTube or any of the clips from the show? No. She was really good presence, like, very jolly, and I think people really loved her, and then I'm not really sure... I know Simona Beck's papers are at Harvard, but I don't really... They kept doing stuff more in France, but not in America so much. Mm, That's interesting. It makes me wonder if maybe they had more fame in France and... I think I that, yeah, yeah. That, that could be totally possible. Yeah. Yeah, and it would make sense. Yeah, it would. And they, I just think it's interesting that she, that they came up with this cookbook and then couldn't sell it over here, and then I feel like she just kind of took it and ran with it. Yeah, to- I mean, totally. That's where she got all of her fame from. Yeah. Was there anything weird in your research that you came across you didn't expect to find or about her or anyone else? Was there anything weird that came up? Yeah, talking about the um, the famous, in our class, we went over Jackie Kennedy's famous tour of the White House in, I want to say, 1964, where she kind of gave a tour, and I wasn't aware that Julia Child also did one, but during the Johnson administration in, like, 1969, where she gave a tour of the White House. What? Yeah. And it's not on, I couldn't find it on YouTube, it's in, like, the archives of the National Library. Yeah. But she gave a tour and kind of, like, interviewed their chef and was kind of like, oh, his food's amazing because the Johnsons were known kind of as more southern country people that didn't have fine taste in food like the Kennedys. Oh, wow. So you think it was probably some PR? Po- it was. I think it was totally it was a PR move. Like yeah. Julia Child knows her food, will have her come and like taste the food, and everyone will think it's delicious. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. I kind of want to go find that video. I know. It's on, yeah, it's like on microfilm or something. So I yeah. need to see it. I want to. So, was their chef Southern then? Their chef at their home, everyone has, like, a home and, like, a White House chef. So, like, their vacation chef was Southern. And then they hired a Swiss-born chef for um, their official White House chef. But apparently, according to the New York Times reporter Craig Claiborne, he was not that good. Oh, really? Yeah, so I'm wondering if Julia, like, actually liked the stuff or was just kind of doing a good move for the Johnson administration. Yeah. Hmm, yeah, it seems like maybe... She's just being nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's so interesting. Well, um, 
I don't really know that much about cookbooks, but I feel like they've gained so much popularity since she came out with hers. And I feel like I've no it would be interesting, um, like fifty years from now to look at what our cookbooks are like and what kind of food like where where our foods tend to come from based on those cookbooks. I know there's a lot more like Asian street food cookbooks and um my roommate has this one. It's like, like a real, like not like gangster cookbook, but it kind of is where it has like these different like millennial twists on like classic recipes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and so I think it would be cool to look back at our cookbooks. I mean, we're too close to it, I think, to study. Yeah, totally. But I always think, what will people think about our cookbooks? They'll probably think we're weird. <laughs> well, there's that new book out called Eight Flavors, and it goes over each, like, how each kind of century has a flavor that really defines it. And ours is apparently sriracha. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so true. Yeah, it's, and I mean, it came out like 2000s, really. So that's kind of what they say our flavor is. Yeah. What are the, do you remember what the previous ones are? Yeah, so it was like the 18th century had black pepper, and then like the, next or maybe it was every 50 years and then it was like rose water because they didn't have vanilla so rose water be used for everything what is rose water is it just it's where you take roses and kind of like boil them down and then get a syrup and then mix it with sugar no way that's so cool and it can be really strong have you ever watched great british bake-off no it's used more commonly in britain and it can be really overpowering like perfumey but when used correctly it could be good and then it was like vanilla chili 1850s um chili was kind of never used and then it was used by german immigrants in mexico and i'm trying to think what the other flavors were oh oh msg oh my god yeah that's so good yeah and i can't remember what the other ones were but it's a great book yeah that sounds really interesting and it's cool in parallel to what you just did it sort of breaks down the you don't think of food i don't think of food as being relevant to decorative arts but then it definitely is because you have all of the utensils and cookware and recipes that kind of explain time periods yeah I think the material culture of food is just such a great field to get into right now yeah is there anything else like off the top of your head that you would ever want to study in the food food culture I've done previously I took a course on women at home and um, I did the work of Eliza Leslie, who wrote, like, the first big cookbook in the 1820s. Wow. It was, like, the second cookbook ever published in America. But it was not great to cook from it because, like, a lot of her recipes were, like, poisonous to us right now. Really? What was in it? So there was a cake recipe, and it called for two cups of cinnamon. And, like, more than an eighth a cup of cinnamon is, like, it'll kill you. I didn't know that. Yeah. So if you put two cups of cinnamon in, it'll just... What will happen to you? Do you know? I, like, I was talking with another Victorianist about, I was like, hey, I'm going to make one of her recipes. It's got, like, two cups of cinnamon. She's like, you don't want to make that because you'll die. That's so crazy. Yeah. That's... Like, the cinnamon challenge, you can only do with so much before you, like... Die. Yeah. That seems... So, were people doing her recipes and then getting sick, do you think? I think people just had a higher tolerance back then for, like, different, like lead leached into stuff that's so true and like maybe people didn't or didn't realize like when they were eating the cinnamon cake that they could only have a little bit yeah wow that's so interesting and kind of terrifying (laughs) (laughs) I know right yeah 
That's really cool. So do you know when the first one came out? The first cookbook in America came out in 1796. That's so early. Mm-hmm. I would never have thought it was that early. And it's usually written by women. So cookbooks in America is mostly a woman-centered history. As opposed, do you think in Europe, it since the chef was more of a profession, it was... Yeah, precisely. I think it was more of a male-focused industry. That's really interesting to look at, too, in terms of gender studies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but... Um, so were the people buying these cookbooks, like the earlier ones, also women? Or was it like the women in, like that were domestic servants? Or do you think it was like, I don't know how women's houses were like necessarily set up. Do you think it was the woman of the house that was? I think it was the woman of the house that was buying it. Mm-hmm. And then I think a lot of the like domestic servants just learned it from the trade because you'd kind of have a similar experience to being a restaurant person Mm -hmm. in France or Europe. You'd kind of work your way up. You'd start off being a scullery maid and eventually you might make your way up to be a cook. Yeah. So it's kind of like, and, but I think there was kind of more of a fashion starting in the early 19th century. If you were the woman in the house to kind of show off what you could do. Mm. So women wanted to make like fancy cakes or like show off their skills with the turkey. Oh, yeah. To kind of show off their domestic aptitude. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's a neat area of study that hasn't really been necessarily indoctrined into our decorative arts (laughs) studies. Not yet. No, not at all. Wow, that's awesome. So going forward, do you think you'll take your food studies further or is it just sort of as it comes as you come across like classes or research topics what do you think um in were you 1960s design at all or no no? (laughs) I couldn't remember I regret that (laughs) no no there was it was a great class but there's a lot of other good ones but in that class I looked at um the Four Seasons restaurant in the 1960s which I kind of want to do for like a thesis Mm -hmm. so what would you what was your paper topic was it about the history of it or was it how it the inside workings um I looked at mostly how it was kind of created so there was a company called restaurant associates in New York in the 1960s and they were responsible for like Casa del Sol which was Alex Gerard's restaurant um Tavern on the Green and then Rainbow Room I'm trying to think of some of the more famous ones but they were the ones who kind of created the concept of a modern like restaurant that's themed wow that's so cool. the Four Seasons was their, um, maybe their fourth. I can't remember what number, but it really was um, one of the first that kind of pioneered farm to table. Wow, that's really cool. So they were the ones who like locally sourced mushrooms and stuff and kind of had the idea of a seasonal menu, which was really new. So that's kind of what I looked at in there was the menus and how it was just this totally new creation. Wow, that would be the coolest thesis topic ever. You're very kind. No, that's so cool. I never think about stuff like that, like hotels and who was creating the first stuff. Anything? Food yeah. Things. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you'll be in theorizing luxury with David Brody, and he does hotels and oh, restaurants. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for that class. It sounds really interesting. Um, I'm still waitlisted for that, though. I'm sure to yeah, I think a bunch of people just save classes and don't never drop any until right before. Until right before, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> so I'm just stressed, like, stress over here, like, what class will I actually be in? But it'll work out. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast and educating us, and 
I know that some foodies will probably be listening to this because foodies love food. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you.